Hello, listeners. I am Dr. Muji. And I'm Iyavade. Listeners, does this sound any different? Maybe text us about it because I am currently sitting across from my mom, looking deep into her beautiful eyes as we record this, which is very abnormal because usually we're doing it from practically across the country. Very true, my daughter. I'm so happy that you're with me and that we're able to record this looking at each other. I know, but let's not make it awkward. I'm joking. <laughs> I like how I ruined the moment. Listeners, you should have seen my mom's face. It's like, really? We were having such a sweet moment and all of a sudden, <laughs> this person has to disrupt it. All right, but back to business. Text along wherever you're listening, wherever you are. We'd love to hear from you. The number is 650-360-7282. That's 650-360-7282. And as always, leave a review wherever you are in the world listening to this. Share it with your network, your tribe, your crew, all of your favorite people. Let them know about Catching Curveballs. So today, my daughter, let's begin with the listener feedback. And I love, love this one. It's actually about our episode 21, Growth Mindset. And I'm not going to paraphrase. I'm just going to read word for word what the listener sent to us. Should we get comfortable? This might take a while, right? Isn't this one of our lazy <laughs> listener feedback? <laughs> it wouldn't be too long. It wouldn't be too long. But I just couldn't see myself, you know, summarizing. So this is the quote. I enjoyed learning that there are things you can do to develop and nurture a growth mindset. Applying these tactics can help someone positively grow themselves, and they could also be used when interacting with people you encounter who might be using a lot of negative self-talk. The lists of strategies reminded me a lot of the mindfulness practices in CBT and DBT. Just the simple act of being aware of negative or self-hindering thoughts is so helpful. You can acknowledge the thoughts, but they are not necessarily facts. We are capable of so much more than we think we are, especially when it comes to learning. End of quote. You know what's so funny about that quote, mom, is that the listener commented on that interaction with someone who might be using a lot of negative self-talk. And listeners, I'm sure you're with us here. You know someone or some people who tend to use negative self-talk or tend to express some of their negative self-talk, whether it's with some experience that you're going through together, they are visualizing or thinking of the worst whether it's about themselves or the scenario at hand, they're continuously displaying this tendency to let their minds wander in that direction. And it can be really challenging, especially when maybe you're trying to salvage a situation or you're trying to be supportive of them and remind them of all of what they have to offer, yet they're rebutting it with some very negative and harsh critical self-talk that's of course then being vocalized. So if it's being expressed, then you'd know. If it's not being said, then you'd have no clue. But it can be really tough when you're interacting with someone who tends to do that. And so having the vocabulary to help get them through those moments is something that's so vital and helpful. And then being able to apply that for yourself too is incredibly helpful. Very true, my daughter, because I have some faults <laughs> that are great examples. And of course, 
I must have fallen into such traps too in the past. Oh, I see why you did that. Traps. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. <laughs> but you know what? I want to talk about uh, CBT because the listener used some acronyms. And I know that in as much as you and I love acronyms, it's still important that we spell them out. Uh, so the listener talked about practices in CBT and DBT. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy and DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. DBT is a form of CBT. So if you think of CBT as a type of psychological treatment that is used to address a variety of issues, and these issues could vary from depression, anxiety, to even serious mental illnesses. So think of DBT as a form of CBT. Okay, so that's the difference. Because for some reason, when I hear CBT, DBT, I just gravitate towards CBT. That sounds familiar. DBT sounds like some new wave of therapy that I don't even know where to start in understanding. So thank you for explaining that. Maybe there will be one day where you break it down a bit further for us. Okay, my daughter, but we shouldn't forget to thank the listener. So we want to thank the listener for taking time out of their busy schedule to pen something this long in terms of their feedback. Thank you so kindly. Agreed. Thank you, listener. Have we said thanks? Should we say thanks one more time? We can say it several times. (laughs) You're forgetting that your mom is thank you, lady. Some of my friends call me the thank you, lady. Thank you, professor. So I can say thank you as often as possible. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And this was the perfect starter for today because CBT can actually be used to address today's topic. Correct, mom? Yes. Perfect. Perfect. So we're really just following a similar line here. Listeners, today we're talking about thinking traps. And I'm so glad that we've already gotten to this topic because last episode, I made this special request to my mom of how I really hope that one day we would get to thinking traps versus just staying at the level of catastrophizing or one very common thinking trap because there's so many others. And I think just human to human It's something that all of us at some point in time will either experience or will interact with someone or have loved ones who tend to fall into these thinking traps. And personally speaking, they can be tough to really shake. It can be tough to alter your line of thinking and particular patterns. It takes a lot of mindfulness and awareness. And quite frankly, it takes some effort. It's not easy. So mom, we're ready for you today. Why don't you get us started by helping us understand what thinking traps refer to? Beautiful, my daughter. Uh, When I think about thinking traps, I first break them into two words. I break the phrase down into two words. Think about a trap. When you are trapped, you are in an enclosure. You believe that there's no exit. You think that you're stuck. How can I get out of this space? Same with humans. We can trap ourselves too, in this sense, in terms of our thinking. So that's where thinking traps comes in, where you feel stuck, where you feel you can't exit. Even when there's an exit, you think there's no exit. So thinking traps are actually erroneous views of what we do and why we do them. They are mental habits. 
think of repetition, repetitive ways of thinking, and in repeating and thinking, having a particular pattern of thought can actually restrict us from seeing things the way they truly are. So there are our ways of seeing, and usually with a negative slant, or unfortunately, with a negative slant. Thinking traps are also referred to as cognitive distortions. Others would use words like, or a phrase like, cognitive dissonance. Again, when you think of dissonance, you are thinking in terms of thinking, disagreement in your thoughts. You are engaging in some pattern or form of cognitive dissociation. Thinking traps are often deep-rooted in our psyche, in our mind. And that's where the idea of being trapped comes from. What makes it so tough with thinking traps is that you're right, they are often so deep-rooted in our minds. It doesn't matter how many self-help books you might be able to get through. If you have this pattern of thinking, unfortunately, it just can't disappear or alter overnight. There's a lot of actual diligence it takes to shift that line of thinking, to shift that natural tendency we might have. I guess I just always wonder, why does it have to be negatively inclined? Because a part of me thinks of how easy life would be if our thinking traps were more like thinking positive. gardens. Exactly. It was all positive. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine how wonderful life would be if your natural tendency was to envision the best outcome? Can you, listeners, just take a moment. Think of how great life would be. It would be a sweeter, better world. Absolutely. (laughs) But instead, reality is that, or maybe it's just me who's speaking very personally here, but in my reality, the tendency isn't always envisioning that positive outcome. It isn't gravitating towards the best case scenario. Oftentimes, my mind will run wild and will envision some not so great outcomes or some not so great scenarios. That's why we're here today. Yep. Remember my daughter, we're usually bombarded by a lot of information. And in processing this information, many a times we have to jump to some conclusions. We have to more or less take some shortcuts to come to a conclusion. Well, from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense, right? You have to jump to certain conclusions or at least find shortcuts or else you'd spend your day making every single decision and factoring in all these variables. There's just... Do we even have... We have only twenty. We only have 24 hours. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'm asleep for a lot of those yes. hours. So. <laughs> so I absolutely can see where they would come from. It's just then a case of how can we unplant? How can we um, loosen those deeply rooted thinking traps? Or how can we replant healthier thought patterns? Even better said, mom. Look at you go. Even better. Well, I know there are many thinking traps. There are many types that have been described. I also know that I'm a professional at some of them, but more on that later. As I've mentioned in our last episode, we covered one common type, catastrophizing, that tendency to jump to the worst possible conclusion. So that one we've already covered, we've devoted an entire episode to. That's true. Let's now shift to a few other very popular ones. I'll go ahead and name it, and then, Mom, you can help decipher it. Right. I'll try to break things down (laughs) and probably give examples, including my examples, my personal examples. Perfect. Perfect. Who's ready? Listeners, are you ready? 
All right, three, two, one. No, I'm joking. <laughs> like I'm adding a countdown to getting ready. All right, well, the first one is all or nothing thinking. That's a good one to start with, my daughter. All or nothing thinking, in which you consider most things or everything as black and white. And many of us engage in such thinking. A situation doesn't go exactly as you planned and you immediately deem it as a failure. I'm thinking of it in terms of, for instance, individuals who never see things in shades of gray or in between. It's either or. It's those extremes. So let's take an example of a student who earns an F in math and then concludes that I'm poor academically. Well, actually, you are absolutely <laughs> poor. That's what that F means. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> F means fail and it means you're poor. But okay. Let's say you engage in that thinking. It can still be replaced with another thinking. You can replace it by saying, well, I'm not perfect. Even though I got a failing grade, yes, I got an F in my math course. However, it doesn't mean I am a failure because I can still earn a better grade next time. So don't make it an all or nothing thing. True. It goes back to that idea that not all is lost, right? <laughs> There's still something left to be salvaged. Yes. And just because the outcome isn't what you'd expect, or maybe to because historically you've had an outcome not be what you expect, that doesn't mean that for the future, you should automatically expect that that same result will be the case. Just because you have failed in math doesn't mean that your next course you'll yeah. also fail or doesn't mean that in the future all of your math experiences will be as painful and as then don't one. take it personal that's true. it's not that's about true. you it's about your accomplishment true so we need to separate ourselves as individuals from our accomplishments that's such a good point mm -hmm. and it's why i'm glad that you mentioned it in the way you did in that you said even though you got a failing grade, not you specifically, not me, mom. Not me, know, not me. Not that I've never gotten an F, but I can't remember when I, I got know. an F last. I, listeners, you should have seen my mom's body language. She just kind of was it's like, not me. wait a minute, I'm not the one who's doing poorly in math. I did well. Yes, I did. Um, but I like how you framed it in that just because you received a particular grade, it doesn't mean that you are a failure. It just means that that's the grade that you received. It's not reflective of you as a person or what you have to offer. And it's at that time. Exactly. You might take another math course and you might earn an A. Oh, well, I mean, that might be a stretch in this case. But <laughs> okay, well, what about emotional reasoning? That's another one that I feel is pretty popular. Emotional reasoning. Yes. With emotional reasoning, my daughter, you think your emotions are confirmation of the truth. Just because you feel crappy at this particular time doesn't mean life is crappy. For example, I feel inadequate, so I am inadequate. Try to replace that thinking, please, as soon as possible. Tell yourself, my emotions are not objective proof of reality. I'm able to accept all of my emotions while still moving on. Agreed. And there's a place for all of your emotions. They're there for a reason. It's just a question of, will you let them cripple you or keep you stuck or make you feel as if you're not a valuable part of society or a valuable person? And the reality is that that's not the case. 
quite frankly, in that situation, mom, where you've described that feeling of inadequacy or feeling as if you're not all that great or you feel crappy, that's what you said, right? It doesn't mean that you are a crappy person. That's not at all the reality here. Next up, filtering. Filtering is interesting. Why? Because it is similar to all or nothing or black and white thinking. So in this case, you focus solely on the negative aspects of a situation. You actually neglect all the other favorable or positive parts. Again, we've said it. We have both positive and negative. In any situation, there will be the positive parts, the positive aspect, as well as the negative aspects. So this example, for instance, I think this is me sometimes. My daughter, this is me sometimes. Yeah, yes. Where um, I think. Yes, listeners, it is. Yes. <laughs> Does anyone hear me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why? Because I share this with you many a times. I think all the students taking this course of mine don't like my course because I didn't allow Mary to make up an exam. So what I try to do is to replace that thinking. Instead, I tell myself, Yes, not all students will have a negative view of my course just because I didn't give Mary a makeup exam. This sounds personal, Mom. Is it there is more personal. that you want to share here? I think you <laughs> changed the, the name, name. I changed the name. I changed the name. Oh, no, I'm not going to use any of my students' real names. <laughs> exactly. Watch. That'll be the next text message we receive is from your students saying, I know this is about me. <laughs> All right. Well, beyond filtering, let's move on. What about fortune telling? Yeah. Uh, In terms of fortune telling, you predict bad outcomes in all circumstances. Um, I'm going to talk about myself again, try to make it a bit personal. I'm the type who has a particular parking spot on campus. You know, where I like to park my vehicle. And there will be sometimes if you don't leave home on time and you get to the campus at a particular time, you will not, if it's too late, you wouldn't get a parking spot. However, it's not every time that you want to leave first then 8 o'clock to get to the campus. So maybe you decide to go, say, at noon. And as I'm driving, I'm already telling myself, oh, my God, I'm not likely to get my usual parking spot on campus today. But sometimes I replace that. Immediately that thought comes, I just say, well, nobody can foresee the future. I might still get it. And my daughter, there have been situations where I had that thought. And as I drove in, somebody will be driving out of the area. Not my exact parking spot, because again, I don't have any particular parking spot in my name. It's just an area. You know, what's funny though, is with fortune telling, because I am an expert fortune teller, my predictions are frequently off, but I still continue to fortune tell for myself. And I feel as if what really helps in those moments is immediately countering that prediction with, yes, that negative outcome could be the case, but it could also be this. It could also be this, and it could also be this. And I feel as if the more alternative scenarios I throw at myself, the better I'm able to avoid spiraling and focusing or fixating on that one ultimate terrible outcome. So I almost feel as if I have to counter it with all the other scenarios that are possible. I take my moment to acknowledge, I say, yes, that one ultimate horrific outcome could be the case but it could also be X, Y, and Z. 
And I feel as if that tends to really help me or at least helps my thinking traps not escalate and become more than just almost a passing initial thought. I like that. None of us is a fortune teller, you know. Uh, None of us can foresee the future. Uh, As best as we think, some of us might think that's not the situation. Agreed. Another one then is labeling. In terms of labeling, when you are thinking, you put a bad or negative label on yourself or on someone else incorrectly. Again, there isn't much truth in some of these thoughts, you know, or if not all these thoughts, you know. An example would be, I think I'm no good. Instead of just thinking, I'm no good at singing. I'm no good at something. I'm not... Mr. Bean, I'm not funny. Remember Mr. Bean? Did you throw in a Mr. Bean yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> That British actor, oh Rowan Atkins, that I love him. That yes. Oh my gosh. That when growing up. Household. Yes, that was something. Oh my gosh, Mr. Bean. Yeah, so I know that, that, you know, there are certain things I'm not good at, okay? Uh, but it doesn't mean that I now use that label on me globally, Okay, it's about a particular action or a particular thing I'm unable to do. So what I do in that situation, I replace that thinking. I just tell myself no one is deserving of being judged. Again, you are trying to separate, you know, action from who you are. You know, just because I'm not a good singer does not mean that I'm a no gooder. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And that actually makes sense then with the term labeling. Yeah. What about mind reading? That's an interesting one. I do that a lot too. I know where I get it from. (laughs) I know exactly where I get it from. So the individual will always try to figure out what someone else is thinking. Let me give an example. You conclude that someone is thinking negatively about you despite the lack of facts. My younger sister usually helps me with this type of thinking. Because I would have already gone on and on describing something and what someone was thinking, what someone was likely thinking. And she would try to draw me back and say, hmm, are you sure? I mean, no one can really read another person's mind. Are you sure you are reading that person's mind accurately? Maybe the person didn't even notice you. (laughs) And you are thinking that they're thinking, Dr. Moji, Moji's bad. And maybe that's not what's going on in their minds. It's so funny that this one comes up because was it just yesterday, listeners, I was getting ready yesterday and my mom just walked in my room and kind of walked past me and made a sound. And instead of asking her, you know, why did you make that sound or what's up? I told her why she made this sound. I kind of was like, I know that you saw what I just did, or I know that you just saw something. I don't even remember the details. And I hadn't seen anything. Exactly. <laughs> but that mind reading, it's something that can just rapidly in the blink of an eye happen. You know, you automatically assume that you know what someone else is thinking when the reality is you're more than likely far from the truth. And in that moment too, of course, having, you know, a mom who understands thinking traps, mom, you immediately, you. yeah, you were like mind reading. This is yes. a thinking trap. I told you that's very true. Exactly. So I can't even get away with it. It's called out in that yeah. moment. What about overgeneralization? Yeah. So in terms of overgeneralization, you would expect something bad to happen again and again whenever just one thing, one thing bad happens and you think 
it will repeat itself forever, which is not necessarily the case. So let's give an example. You think, why does this always happen to me? You know, let's say you make some mistake. It's just one time, but you keep telling yourself, why does this always happen to me? Or you might say, why does this never happen to me? So maybe you're observing someone else and something good is happening to them. And then you are thinking, that never happens to me. Why doesn't that happen to me? Ideally, it will be good to replace that thinking with, well, I'm making broad generalizations here. Something else may happen next time. Exactly. Counter that. There are alternative outcomes. There are alternative, you know, trajectories for any situation. It doesn't have to be Groundhog Day where the same thing is destined to happen to you time and time again. And being able to not only convince yourself of that, but start believing it will make a huge difference in your life. Yes. There's one more that I have listed here, mom, personalization. In terms of personalization, that thinking trap is one where you assume responsibility for something incorrectly. For example, you think, because I am a member of the group, we didn't submit our project on time. Um, I think this is another trap that I find myself in some time. But what I try to do is to replace it with, well, I did my best. It's no one's fault that we didn't submit our project on time. In that situation, you could also think of personalization as or related to should statements. This is when people have stringent rules for how they or others should or shouldn't behave. That's part of the personalization. So a long time ago, one female psychologist coined the phrase tyranny of shoulds. Oppression of Schultz. That's Ooh, I love that. um, tyranny of yes, Schultz. Schultz. That's Karen Honai, yeah. where it is, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't drink any alcohol again. Hey, you can replace that thinking with, I can drink alcohol, but only once in a while. Well, with exceptions, <laughs> you know. I know you might not. I know you might not like that particular example because you're not someone about alcohol. Let me sneak this in. Let me bring in this example real fast while we're recording. Not that I not that I like drinking myself, but hey, once in a while, you know, a sip, you know, a sip of red wine will be good. There's some people who can't have a sip. That is true. So the tyranny of should is something that we have to try to uh, catch ourselves and we have to try to overcome. It's a thinking trap that can have a stranglehold on someone. I should. As a mother, I should do this. As a daughter, I should do that. You know? Yes. (laughs) Beautiful. I loved how you described that. And I've learned something so new. Tyranny of shoulds. Yes. Well, we've captured a lot of the thinking traps. If there are others that are are, very uncommon, right? (laughs) Well, they're not one of our favorites. We have picked our favorites. This list had to be refined. We We didn't spend the entire day. To be honest with you, there are many more. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, um, let's limit it to this. Okay. (laughs) To these ones. Agreed. Well, what then is the relationship between thinking traps and anxiety? Because I think for me, by default, I would expect that the more anxious you are or the more anxiety you tend to experience, the more likely you would be to fall into those thinking traps or to be inclined to have them. True, my daughter. um, There is a positive relationship 
between thinking traps and anxiety, but they could go in both directions. The direction you just described is one where people suffering from depression or anxiety are more likely to fall into certain thinking traps. But on the other side too, um, it is a situation whereby certain patterns of thoughts have a tendency to trap us, to keep us stuck in a state of anxiety or even to increase our anxiety level. I see. So it can be both directions. Yes. It's not as if one has to precede the other. Not or necessarily. Precedes yes. it. Interesting. And are some people more likely to have distorted thought patterns or is there a trend towards some types of thinking traps? Those are two good questions again, two related questions, very good questions. People of any age can have distorted thought patterns. Uh, so whether you're young, old, you know, middle, midlifer, okay? But I can imagine that during adolescence, we might have more anxious thoughts, for instance, about the future, which, of course, will distort our view of things or even of life. Then you can also think of attachment styles. Attachment styles should be considered because whether you have secure versus insecure attachment style would matter. For instance, people with insecure, anxious attachment style, which is actually characterized by moderate to high anxiety and low levels of avoidance are more likely to exhibit negative thought patterns in their romantic relationships, for instance. Very interesting. I feel as if we've covered everything there. We've touched on attachment styles. We've touched on what else? Midlife. I guess we haven't covered everything. (laughs) So why am I getting way too excited? (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, I heard so many familiar things. (laughs) But that is really interesting to think about. I feel as if though, regardless of the pattern or trend, something that probably matters the most is being able to actually get out of these thinking traps. Because for me personally, it feels as if it requires extensive practice. But I think just having tools to at least get us started so that we can start building those muscles, right, to kind of steer the ship a different direction when we do start engaging in those distorted negative thought patterns what recommendations do you have yeah it's very important i agree with you that we need recommendations of how to get out of these thinking traps because even if you think of physical traps i mean if you're inside in an enclosure you are stressed you are frustrated same with thinking traps too it's not easy to stop thinking traps particularly if you formed a habit of it. However, it can be done. You can get out of that trap or you can actually reduce the negative, repetitive thought patterns. So let's begin. Always remind yourself that because you think of something doesn't make it true. You have to engage in balanced thinking. Balance your thinking. Admit that life is full of challenges That's what catching curveballs is all about. We know that we'll all face challenges, which might differ from individual to individual. But if you have that thought in your mind, you are able to get out of that stranglehold that you have probably 
put yourself in. Because in this case, nobody put you in a trap. You are the one who put yourself in the trap. It's your thinking that has trapped you. Try to keep your thoughts distinct from what's happening. List your thinking traps. When you list something, you are able to recognize them. It becomes more intimate, more familiar. Question your thinking traps. Interrogate them. That will enable you to break free from them. Try to play the role of the devil's advocate with yourself. Why am I thinking these thoughts? Is it really true? Talk to yourself as if you are talking to a friend. When worry-inducing ideas take over, say stop. Stop. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just envisioning someone being out, maybe in public, maybe in say, a stop. meeting at work. <laughs> Can you imagine if you're in a work meeting or in school well, and you're having a line of thinking and you just You say, don't have to stop. say it out loud. Oh, you don't have to say it out loud, my daughter. <laughs> You can tell yourself internally, mentally, Moji, stop. That makes a lot more sense. (laughs) As much as possible, practice self-care. And then, of course, seek expert assistance. You might say it's the last resort. Look for a counselor, look for a therapist who is able to help you interrogate or engage your negative thinking and replace them. All amazing. But like I've said, I love the questioning approach. I really enjoy interrogating myself and interrogating my thought patterns, especially the negative ones. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, I just don't want to go to this event tonight. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. I don't know anyone. I will always try to be mindful to ask myself, well, what if it's actually amazing? What if I actually go and I think, thank goodness that I attended this for whatever reason? I mean, just asking those simple questions and attempting to really think through the other what ifs, I think that goes a long way. And I feel as if it also just helps calm me down, especially when I'm a bit nervous. It's something that I find so helpful. It requires practice. I think that's the one key takeaway here is just practice. Be easy on yourself at first, especially if it's something that maybe you aren't familiar with. You aren't used to countering these thoughts. You're just used to letting them run wild. It's going to take some time, so ease into it. And don't hold yourself to some high standard or bar and expect that these will just disappear You know, in a day or in a week. It's going to take a lot longer because those thinking patterns, they've had their time to be ingrained and deep-rooted in your mind. It's not as if they just formed in no time. All Mm. right, Mom, well, thank you for covering this topic. I know you know that it's one that I really was so excited to get to. So Thank you, too, my daughter. I've had fun just having you next to me and we're able to just, you know, laugh and banter. I've really enjoyed it. Me, too. All right. Well, I think we're ready for your quote for today. And my quote for today is actually very straightforward and simple. It's a quote by Peter McIntyre. Quote, confidence comes not from always being right, but from not fearing to be wrong. End of quote. Well, that's all for now. Thank you for spending time with us. Yes. We want to hear from you. Give us feedback on what you heard today and suggestions for topics you would like us to discuss in future episodes. 
You can email us at catchingcurveballs at gmail.com. That's catchingcurveballs, all one word, at gmail.com. Or you can text us at 650-360-7282. That's 650-360-7282. Also remember to follow us on Instagram for much more content at Catching Curveballs Podcast. That's Catching Curveballs Podcast. And as always, remember to rate, review, and tell everyone you know about the podcast. We cannot wait to connect with you soon.